Hey, everybody. This is Taylor. Uh, before we get to today's episode, which was recorded uh, Monday afternoon, I did want to note that I think while we were recording the show, uh, the news broke or an article was published uh, in the New York Times by Tariq Panja, uh, which essentially indicates that UEFA investigators would like to ban Manchester City from the Champions League. Um, there is lots to this story. I suggest you go and try to read the article uh, or read more about the reporting of the article. But it's worth noting that this isn't about like the nuances of financial play, as Tariq noted, but it's over allegations that the club provided false information on its sponsorship agreements to UEFA and acted in bad faith. Uh, I think there's also an involvement of hacked emails, uh, media issues as well. All of that is worth uh, checking out. But since Ryan and I do get into sort of singing the praises of Manchester City and their transfer policy, we also talk a little bit about the Court of Arbitration for Sport in relation to Chelsea's transfer situation. It felt necessary to include something so that our listeners weren't wondering why we were talking about these things so glowing and favorably without mentioning the fact that Man City might get booted from the Champions League. I would say might with a big old asterisk because I doubt it ends up happening, but that's my editorializing uh, for facts and other people's editorializing. Uh, Go check out Tariq Panja's article and the uh, coverage that surrounds it as well. Uh, So all that said, on with today's Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. And welcome to another episode of the Total Soccer Show, a weekend review episode of the Total Soccer Show. I am Taylor Rockwell, and joining me, I've got a man who's defining or defying, I should say, British stereotypes. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Ooh, Tay Tay, I love your way every day, particularly Mondays when I get to speak to you. I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, I have been to the dentist today. There it is. I'm half of my face was numb for most of the day. I, I've retained feeling now. I've had feeling for about the last 15 minutes, so I think I can uh, hold a conversation with you. I appreciate that. I, I like the idea of, of us getting like injury reports at the very last minute, similar to how I forget who was scrapped for Liverpool like right before kickoff. But uh, I like the idea of doing that for you, Ryan Bailey, of like having you sort of update us. Like, okay, face slightly less numb. I think I'm good to go. Yeah, I can feel my tongue. Uh, I can feel all of it now, which is good. That's a, that's progress from when I ate my lunch earlier. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, we've got lots to talk about. Uh, we've mostly, I think we're going to be in the Premier League since it was the final uh, weekend of the season, final games of the season all happening at once and as I believe you noted in the show notes it was a scary 83 seconds for Manchester City who are your Premier League champions yet again they are indeed congratulations to them I I, um, obviously uh, well I I think I saw this coming a little while ago an incredible finish from Manchester City though were those uh, was it 14 wins on the spin at the end of the Mm -hmm. season I mean to show that kind of metal at the end of a Premier League campaign when you've got a team who are as incredible as Liverpool breathing down your neck all of those games I think that shows such fortitude and that really speaks well of Pep Guardiola and and this side and you know there's been a lot of fine margins in this race the 29.51 millimeter title we've heard some people calling it because of those uh, clearances and whatnot but I mean you can't you can't really progress city for this can you no, not at all. I mean, and to your point, uh, I think Guardiola referred to this as the most difficult title he had ever won uh, because they had to win the 14th Street because Liverpool pushed them so much. Mm. And, and so I think you're absolutely right that like it was billed as, you know, there were so many title changes. Um, really, that was like the game in hand situation. It wasn't really that like one team kept dropping and one team, ke- team kept picking up. But that in and of itself was sort of compelling because for both teams to kind of go on the run and the consistent run at that that they did yeah. makes it that much more impressive. And kind of the fact that there weren't 
at least with City, to my mind, there weren't too many of those sort of like, oh, things are falling apart. How's Guardiola going to fix this? It feels like he kind of had control from the beginning till the end. Yeah. There were slips and mistakes here and there, and I'm sure he would like to a Champions League do-over, and that's probably something he'll be focusing on next year, as it seems to be every year. But I think overall, it was just sort of... It wasn't an air of ine- inevitability about it, but it, I think it was an air of inevitability that it was going to be these two really pushing each other, and I think that's exactly what happened, and City end up on top. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't disparage Pep too much for the Champions League situation because I think the, the way the semi-finals went, I think it shows it's a bit of a lottery when you get to this stage of the Champions League, mm-hmm. whereas obviously it t- it's a bit more meticulous and planned and you have to be better week in, week out to win a league. And, you know, he's the first manager to retain a league title in Spain, in Germany and in England. And there's lots of people saying, yeah, but he had the best squad in each one of those. But there's definitely an art to extracting the very best out of elite yeah. talent. And that's something that Pep does. And you can't, you can't just say, oh, he, whatever, when Harry Redknapp says, oh, he should go manage Accrington Stanley or whatever it is he says. It's not, it doesn't really work like that, does it? He, you, you can no. say what you like about Pep and his choice of knitwear, but uh, I think he, he really does a very, very good job at motivating players, uh, you know, uh, uh, setting up his team and of extracting the extra 1% out of those players. I would agree with that. I would add, and I'm not breaking new ground here. I think this is something you and I have talked about. I think Daryl and I have talked about it too. That like Guardiola, I think, is very good at getting the best out of the players that want the best to be brought out of themselves. But if it's a player that either doesn't fit or maybe isn't kind of looking for that type of instruction then I think they kind of don't get stuck in the sunk cost fallacy. And I think that is where maybe they do get a little bit of criticism for buying more left backs, buying more right backs, buying another goalkeeper. But I think that's kind of modern soccer. That's modern football, especially in the Premier League, that you've got to kind of be ruthless in your appraisals of the talent and the players you have and be willing to really stick with it and kind of try to bring change out of players who you think are responding. I would say Raheem Sterling is a prime example of that. Mm. But for players that aren't, then you kind of got to say like, okay, fine, then we'll bring in somebody who will respond. And I think it kind of forces the squad to react accordingly because if it's, as maybe we'll get to with another Manchester team later on, if it feels like, well, that guy doesn't have to do it and that guy doesn't have to do it, why should I have to work that hard? Then it suddenly kind of infects the locker room. And I think Guardiola is very good about weeding out those issues. And I think that's a big part of why they're able to remain so consistent and also because he's kind of terrifying. And I think that factors (laughs) into it as well. You think Pep's terrifying? A little bit. I think he is one of if uh, he rivals Daniel Day Lewis as like most intense people that I assume oh. exist in any given moment. Just he seems so intense that I think if I asked him a question, I'll put it this way: if I had like a an opportunity to ask him a one v one question, there is no way in hell I keep eye contact as soon as he starts talking because I would ask <laughs> a question and I feel like I would just instantly be like, "Wow, he is staring into my soul." I'm going to look away, and I just feel like yeah, he's got that sort of intense intimidation about him without ever being really intimidating he's not physically imposing he's not getting all up in your face he just has that like quiet calmness that you feel like if he needed to he could like you know uh, cut me in half if if the situation required. Yeah, I think he, I think you might be terrifying in the sense of like a big dog that won't stop jumping up at you might be intense and terrifying. <laughs> yeah. He's not in the same way as someone who thinks going to punch you in the face repeatedly. Is it? There's a difference exactly. there, isn't there? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but um I do want to talk more about this season and kind of what we see next season, but I first have this question. Uh, so Noel Gallagher was in the dressing room celebrating. I believe they were very off-key singing Wonderwall at <laughs> one point. But my question is this. Noel Gallagher is, I think, has been and is probably the most famous Man City fan there is. But 
I can't imagine that's going to last much longer. Like, do you think those players in the locker room listen to Oasis, like, really care about Oasis? Or do you think they just know, like, oh, yeah, it's a rock star who, like, likes us and wants to be in the locker room? I think even now they're probably like, oh, yeah, that's a band my dad likes, maybe. Because, you (laughs) you know, Wonderwall came out, what, 95, 96? By the way... When did it happen that City took Minnesota United's official song and made it their it, own? It seems like theory, right? Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Interesting and yeah, <laughs> hijacking. But, but um, and if Noel Gallagher is your uh, is the number one Man City fan, you're you're power ranking your Gallagher brothers there, which is a controversial thing in itself. But I, I would agree <laughs> with you. I would agree with you. Well, what a couple of other observations from this uh, this game that I enjoyed. Um, a tweet from Sunderland. Congratulations to Man City who've joined uh, Sunderland by becoming six time champions of England. The race uh-huh. for the next one is on. I enjoyed that very much. And um, just like in the celebrations themselves, which took forever, by the way. I was mm. like, geez, it's like. 40 minutes after the game finished and we're still watching Zinchenko walk up and get his medal. But um, when the fans chant, Taylor, I love that in the UK they say, Champions, Champions. Not Campiones. They've kind of half-lifted the Spanish. It's like, (laughs) it's still British because we say Champions. But we, yeah, I don't know when that got crossed over because I do feel like in my lifetime it has been Campeones is mm. the song they sing. But maybe, maybe it's just yeah, it's a product of the Premier League that they rebranded it as Campeones. You have to sing this one now to make it I'm, slightly more English. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been '99 and uh, and your aforementioned team you're angry at uh, uh. the New Camp doing it uh, doing their treble thing. I think it might have come from that era. I'm not sure though. I, yeah, I can't imagine Roy Keane voluntarily like speaking Spanish. That doesn't seem like a thing that he would go for. I think he would be. And I can't I, honestly, I can't imagine him singing a song. So I don't know if he did much celebrating. He yeah. certainly do, didn't do much celebrating uh, this weekend. Uh, City, City getting the win. I wanted to ask you a couple questions, or we wanted to go over a few things. Mm. Uh, I wanted to start with Vincent Company because scores the, the goal against Leicester, the absolutely ridiculous goal, and that feels like the type of moment that leads a player to maybe sign off. Um, but like you've scored this incredible goal, it's become a narrative that like you like Captain Fantastic shows up and and keeps the title race alive and ends up uh, you know with the important goal that ends up winning the title. Do you think we see more from Vincent Company next season as a player, or do you think we've started to see him sort of transitioning into maybe getting a couple minutes, but not very reliable in terms of uh, consistent minutes? Do you think we see him maybe take a front office position or an ambassadorial role? If I was a show writer on the Vincent Company show, Tay Tay, I think this mm-hmm. would be the sign off. The the the, uh, the substitution that he got in that final game and the sort of mm-hmm. standing ovation he got, and you know, obviously in the penultimate game, doing what he did, and just that sort of hero arc he's had even at the end of this season where it seemed like he was done with this Man City team he was mm-hmm. at least fourth place well fourth place in the uh, centre-back uh, uh, pecking order uh, uh, this season and then suddenly has come in and earned his place is partnering Laporte for I think it's that six of the last seven games that he's uh, got in over over Stones which nobody expected nobody saw that coming but he's done it and despite having you know the past four seasons completely ruined by injury l- missing at least 50% of games through injury for him to come back and do that at the very end of this season it would seem like a very neat little bow to me yep. for him to sort of duck out at this point and he said oh I'm going to speak to Pep we're going to go for a beer after um, after the, uh, the, 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 the season and talk about it by the way if you're terrified of Pep think of him having a beer and how much more terrifying he might be after he's probably been mainlining coffee all day as well um but i, I don't know I, I don't he he's only is it 33 he's not yeah, terribly he just old. 33 just turned yeah. 33 so he's not, he doesn't have to step down at this point but i think it would be a good exit point don't you 
I, I do. I do. I would also add, I cannot imagine Pep Guardiola ordering beer. I think about all the craft breweries here in Richmond, and I feel like he would go through the menu meticulously to find the exact <laughs> beer he wanted. But I could be wrong. He did spend some time in Bavaria, so maybe he's used to Do you think he's like one of those people, um, if, when he's at the restaurant, he asks what's in everything that really annoys the waiter and takes up all their time? Is he one of those people? I don't know, because he, again, he's so soft-spoken that I feel like there's a chance that he just kind of orders very quietly and then knows exactly what he wants. But does, again, makes unbroken eye contact. But yes, I think he also probably wants to make sure. I feel like he's a, he's a fitness guru, I'm going to assume. He's pretty svelte. Yeah. So I'm going to guess that that comes with making sure you know exactly what you're eating at all times. And uh, to bring it back to what we're talking about, uh, know exactly <laughs> who you're playing at all times. And I think that is kind of what I expect him to do with Vincent Company, is know what Vincent Company is capable of. I, I expect they will try to keep him around because yeah. Company has become such a huge part of that team and of that organization that I think maybe you look at him as a guy who can come in and uh, do a job if you're maybe not trying to play like a high liner because we did see him struggle with pace and have to concede, pick up some cards here and there and concede a few fouls that maybe they didn't want to concede because of the, the lack of pace or perceived lack of pace. Mm. So I think maybe... You keep him around next season as a role player, as a squad player, as a person who can step in, because I do think that's one area where they may want to strengthen is the center back spot. So maybe he so? helps kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Well, we, we have that come, we, we've kind of, you posed that question in the show notes, and that's one area that I have it as maybe mm. center backs. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment because, um, <laughs> I do also think that he's one who they'll want to keep around because he's been such a good servant to the club that I think they maybe will try to give him a front office job. Maybe they'll make an ambassador uh, and and see where that goes. I don't know if he wants to get into coaching, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does, if he starts with one of their various city football group organizations in some capacity, and we see where they go from there. So that's my thinking, is that he stays there next season but gets – fewer minutes uh, than we've maybe been accustomed to. I feel like maybe a better, not necessarily a better route for him, but maybe maybe the route he'll take is that he doesn't play in the squad anymore and does stick around. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, he has done some coaching with the under-16s. He definitely does a lot of ambassadorial stuff with the club. Uh, I think that's where he's very strong. We've seen him give, you know, in the All or Nothing documentary, we saw him give those rousing speeches after they mm-hmm. won won the league without um, kicking a ball and all that, all that stuff. Um so I, I think he could be definitely kept around in the building, and there's so there must be so many opportunities at that Etihad campus for jobs that he could do there. So um, I think that might, might be the best port of call for yeah. him. All right, yeah. So I, I'm with you on that one, but it does then lead to some of the moves, like to pondering some of the moves they've made and some of the moves they might make. Uh, one who I wanted to talk about was Riyad Mahrez. Mm. You've been writing about Man City this entire season uh, for the Athletic. You've been paying more attention to them than I, I guess you would have been otherwise. I'm wondering where you come down on the Riyad Mahrez signing because that's one who, at the time, I thought was a little bit like, "Wow, you're going from great to maybe even greater by signing another kind of marquee player." Uh, they bring him in for sixty million pounds and I think you could make an argument he had a a decent season a good season I think you could also make an argument that he had a very bad season and I would kind of agree with both yeah so every week Taylor when I write for the athletic I send a list of pitches of ideas to write and every week there's something about Ria Mares and it's not being picked up yet but I think over the summer (laughs) I'm going to have something about Mares up on the site because I think it's really interesting question whether the gamble that he took in going Mm -hmm. to City was worthwhile because obviously it's the only player they really strengthened with last summer and you could say he's gone from being, you know, the biggest fish in a smaller pond to a small fish in a bigger pond. And I think, personally, I think the gamble has paid off because when you, when he looks back on his career, he's just won another title, another league title. Uh, when he looks back, he'll have played, I think he played six times in the Champions League this season. He got four starts in the Champions League. He 
13 starts in a Premier League winning campaign. I mean, he could do a lot worse than having that on his resume. And obviously, you know, people like to be had the tutelage of Pep Guardiola. He's had he's he's been able to work under whom someone who may be the best manager in the world. Uh, whether he would have been better off sticking it at Leicester and maybe getting them even higher up, you know, who knows what kind of effect he would have had uh, if, if Brendan Rodgers had come in uh, when he did, if if that would have changed things at all. But I, I think the gamble, personally for me, has paid off. I think he's been a very, very valuable squad player to City, and he's come in more often than I thought he would. I mean, you could even make the argument if he stays at Leicester, maybe he scores a goal against them uh, in that last game, or penultimate game, Mm. and maybe it's only a one-to-one draw instead, so there's that. But I would also, I would agree with you that I think it it, it looks good for him, it will look good on his resume, and I think it also probably leads him to raise his game, because I think, similar to what Pep Guardiola said Liverpool did for Man City, I think being in that squad, being around so many very competitive people and a very competitive manager, you necessarily have to elevate your game, otherwise you're going to be kind of chewed out or chewed up and spat out I guess and yeah. moved on um, and and I also think he's in a situation where I, I do think he was brought in to sort of be a compliment to Raheem Sterling and then maybe Leroy Sané and Bernardo Silva could continue to develop and I think basically Bernardo Silva has been one of those players who has really reached another level under Pep Guardiola Yeah, and so I think if you have I, I, I get why you would automatically start uh, Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling on the wings in every single game if you could, if they're fully fit uh, and playing the way they have been. And so then you kind of – that necessitates Riyad Mahrez moving to the bench. And so I think he's also a victim of two players playing at the height of their powers. He's not quite there, and so he kind of finds his way to the bench. I, I think that's the same for Leroy Sané, who yeah. is an outstanding player, but maybe just doesn't have the consistency or doesn't bring whatever Guardiola wants to the table so that he's not going to be their out-and-out starter every single week. Yeah, definitely. I think it's another case of uh, a player who's, who appears to be second choice but isn't necessarily mm-hmm. where you can see with Vincent Company, where he's come in and uh, has become first choice all of a sudden. And Mahrez keeping uh, Leroy Sané on the bench for the entire game for this Brighton game and, mm-hmm. and getting in ahead of him. So the, the, it, it, he... Pep obviously tailors his teams, and he changed he changed up the formation here. He did a four four two, well, kind of a four four one one, I suppose. He had mm-hmm. Sterling tucked in behind Aguero. Very unusual for Pep to do that kind of thing, but obviously he saw something in what um, Brighton did when they gave him that scare in the FA Cup game and uh, set up accordingly. And Mares obviously being part of that plan, and I think he's got definitely got a future at City. I think he still gets as many, if not more, minutes next season too. Yeah, and I think he's also one who, I'm assuming he's on pretty high wages, but I'm assuming everybody on City is on pretty high wages, or at City is on pretty high wages. Yeah. So I also don't think it's one of those, like, he's sitting there, it's money burning a hole in their pocket, I don't think that's a thing they've ever had to worry about, but it's not an Alexis Sanchez situation, as an example. So it's not. it seems like one where, yes, he's... There's been some stories about how he's unsettled, how he wants more minutes, how he's kind of unhappy. But there have also been stories about Guardiola apologizing to Riyad Mahrez and trying to find more roles for him and trying to find minutes for him. And it does feel like one where if you look at the kind of depth of talent that Manchester City have and the number of competitions they're going to be involved in every single season, it feels like as long as you're content to maybe only start 14 to 20 games, uh, Mm. 14 starts this season, like I think then in the Premier League, that is, then I think that's a spot where he will 
kind of continue to develop and improve his game. If he doesn't like that, if he wants to move on, then I think there will be a number of suitors for him, and I'm sure some who will pay over the top for him. So I think either way, this season probably isn't as smashing of a success as he would have liked, but I think it still ends up in the positive column uh, in my book. And and that's what I'm going to go with. Um, yeah. I'm also inclined to talk... Sorry, did you want to talk more about Riyadh? No, just, I was just thinking, it, you, you've made me think if he did go somewhere, where would he go? And the first club that popped into my head was PSG for some reason. I mean, that, it, I feel like that's always a safe bet. It, PSG, <laughs> uh, it would have been PSG and Monaco, but then Monaco seemed to have quit spending a little bit of money, so maybe not Monaco as much anymore. Yeah. So we are going to talk a little bit more about what Man City may do next season, how they may improve, or what changes they may make. But first, uh, we should probably talk about today's first sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online, Tay-Tay, can be far too complicated. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of sites sell at varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. They pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've been looking at some stuff I'd like to go and attend, and obviously uh, the International Champions Cup is coming to my town of Charlotte, North Carolina this summer. And uh, checking out the tickets there. What, what I, there's lots of things I like about um, the, the way SeatGeek do things. It's the uh, the uh, the way that obviously the purchases are fully guaranteed. And you know, Homer Simpson went to see a team called the Spongos. There's none of that going on in uh, with with, uh, with SeatGeek. Nice old Simpsons reference for you there. You're welcome. Uh, I like the fact. There's one of the best things which I haven't mentioned before is that you can toggle the price with fees or without. So they're, they're right up there. They're, they're admitting what you're getting with stuff. And I like that. And I like the way that it ranks whether the uh, tickets are a good deal. It doesn't just start with the tickets, which are the cheapest at the top. You get like a, uh, a rating out of 10 telling you it's an amazing deal. And I'm just looking at Bank of America Stadium right now, just thinking, where am I going to sit for this game, Tay-Tay? Where am I going to sit? Where am I going to get the best view of uh, whichever mess of players that Uno Emery decides to put out in this game? Oh, that was going to be my question. Who is coming to Charlotte, North Carolina? Uh, it's Arsenal and Roma. Okay, Arsenal and Roma. So I feel like that would still like I I want them to extend the uh, the value scale, uh, which is like sort of it tells you if it's worth the money, you know where you're going to be sitting and, and sort of what you're paying. Mm. But I want them to extend that to like, are you sure you want to watch these two teams? Like I'm trying to think <laughs> of what the like the lowest like international champions cup. Like if it, probably if it was like Manchester United versus I, I don't I'm not sure what like underperforming team would be a bummer to watch right now. But <laughs> like those two teams, and if I like tried to pay like the the price listed, I do wonder if they would give it like a a low rating and be like are you sure this is what you want to watch are you sure go watch a better team go watch a better you get a little pop-up saying are you sure yeah netflix is quite good at the moment are you sure you want to do this (laughs) but i do appreciate that if you want to attend uh, international champions cup games or any athletic competitions uh comedy events theater live shows live music uh seatgeek has you covered and if you get the app on your phone it's the easiest way to sort of shop around for tickets see what's coming to your area you can make it local you can then check like national ones or regional ones because uh richmond doesn't get the biggest shows uh always but the, you know dc just to drive away so you can sort of check and see what's going on how there. far are you from dc uh either about 90 minutes or six hours depending on uh interstate 95 yeah i think the longest i've done was four and a half hours wow uh, yeah it was that was a super fun day and then yeah if you're if you're really hustling and if everybody on 95 is uh choosing to go about 10 miles over which they usually are then you can get up there pretty quickly uh it kind of varies um so that's always the ideal and then the ideal for our listeners is that they can get ten dollars off their first seat geek purchase ryan how can they do that they can do that by going to seatgeek.com and entering the promo code tss i think it's seatgeek.com yes it is and they've got an app as well which you can use both 
of which are very pretty to look at. I love them very much. You can go there and use the promo code TSS, which stands for Total Soccer Show. I just figured that out. Oh, good on you. You're so wise. You're so wise. Uh, <laughs> all right. So thank you to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Ryan for figuring things out on the fly. And thank you to Ryan for talking to me about Man City. And not gloating. I know you're not like a huge City fan, but I feel like writing about them enough, you uh, you have a little bit of loyalty to them. Uh, but with that, I wanted to ask you then about your loyalties when it comes to next season. Uh, because usually there's one or two players who maybe kind of get moved on or cast aside. We talked about Vincent Company already. I don't think that will happen to Riyad Mahrez, Pep Guardiola has said he's going to be there, so I expect him to be there. But I'm wondering, how do you think they will strengthen? What moves do you think they will make this offseason? It's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. you felt felt the same thing at the last season. How can they possibly make this team better? And it was Riyad Mahrez who was added in, which wasn't the ingredient that we expected it to be. I think the the big... Uh, the big question is defensive midfield, surely, that mm. they still have to work on that Fernandinho uh, replacement. I don't think they've got there yet. And I think it's just a case of shopping around Europe maybe for that, maybe not necessarily for next term, but for, for the long term. That's the one position I really feel they need to uh, need, need to step up on. And, and you've got me thinking about centre-back position now, because obviously they've got you know four, four decent, very good centre-backs on the books and they've got Mangala as well. Uh, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, are you thinking you they, they poach a, a high-ranking centre-back from somewhere? Well, here, here's my, my where I am. Is First of all, I want to ask you this. What has happened to John Stones? Is it just injury or is it sort of has he made a few mistakes here and there that have maybe led Pep Guardiola to lose some confidence in him? Because he has not b- b- become the maybe reliable starter, the consistent starter that I thought he would be for City. This, this is the head-scratcher for me. I think, I, I mean, he, he likes Laporte as a, you know, a ball-playing centre-back, and we saw mm-hmm. how good he was the charging into the box and getting that header um, in this Brighton game as well. I'm not sure if it's more that Stones has done something wrong, that Company's done something right, that he was the right man for this team to lead at this stage of the season, that he you know, obviously he's got aerial prowess against the less uh, creative teams, which comes in useful although that doesn't explain why he played against, say, Tottenham in the Champions League over Stones. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it, it is an interesting one because he was, the, he was basically the poster boy. When, when, when he first came in, he was the poster boy for the way Pep wanted to play. And even though he made plenty of mistakes uh, when he first started up, he, you know, uh, Guardiola stuck with him through thick and thin and has turned him into, you know, well, not turned him into, has, has made him, adapted him to uh, the, the, the style of play that City plays. So I, to answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that's fair, though. But I think that's, I guess that to me is where some of my uncertainty about center backs comes from, is that yeah. I don't quite know where Stones is in Pep Guardiola's estimations. And then we've talked about maybe company moves on or maybe he, he sees fewer minutes. And so right there, then you're looking at Laporte and Otamendi. Otamendi has had his issues in the past and some disciplinary, some focus related. He's also been linked with uh, a move to Atletico Madrid. Uh, City, for their part, have been linked with uh, Atleti's Defensive midfielder Rodri, who has a 70 million euro release clause. Uh, there's been some speculation that maybe Atletico don't want to let uh, Rodri go, but he has that release clause, so maybe they'll negotiate a lower fee with a sort of, and then we get Otamendi as well. Rodrigo. Again, that's all speculation, but that's, uh, sorry, am I saying Rodri? No, I just, you said Rodrigo, and it made me think of Rodrigo, sorry. Okay, I gotcha, sorry. Um, yeah, so, but, so I, I guess I just, I feel like that is a spot. I'm with you on defensive midfield, and maybe Rodri fills that, but then the question is, what happens uh, with center backs and so maybe that's an area where they look to strengthen as well but I do think they probably continue 
in the way they've been going with maybe one signing, maybe two signings, uh, not necessarily under the radar. They'll probably happily splash some cash to strengthen, but I think it will also probably be players who are coming in knowing that they're not necessarily going to be starting every single game, might not even be starting half the games, and so will need to kind of content themselves with improving and sort of uh, earning a spot in that squad, if not just getting it outright. I mean, aside from the the idea of building for the future, which would be the defensive midfield uh, quandary, I wonder if they did spend it, it'll be spending for the sake of it a little bit. I mean, we've we've mm-hmm. seen with the things, you know, Tottenham, they didn't spend anything and they've done quite well this season. I think you probably agree. I, I wonder whether adding another ingredient to this to this uh, delicious pudding would uh, make, make it any better or not at this stage. Yeah, because I guess there's there's something to be said for stability and keeping everybody happy and, and just as long as you can bring everybody back, yeah, they're a year older, but you've got depth there. You've got plenty of talent, so maybe it's not as big of a deal. But then if you do need to shake things up, if you do just kind of need, if you feel like, oh, the locker room got a little stale, maybe we need somebody else to come in. Oh, I didn't really like having to find six different possible replacements for Fernandinho or yeah. I wasn't necessarily happy with all of our center backs. Then maybe that's where they look to kind of uh, increase squad depth. But I think either way, uh, I would expect City to be top four for sure next season. I mean, there's, there's going to be quite a lot of players from the other side of Manchester who probably will need a job uh, this summer. <laughs> so maybe they could think about some of them. Maybe there's, yeah. you know, I'm sure there are streets that need sweeping or trash cans that need changing at the Etihad campus. They could help them out. I mean, I, I feel like they've they've signed uh, former Man United players in the past. I feel like the <laughs> shoe is firmly on the other foot in terms of the players they might be getting this time around. But yes, uh, there will be some United players uh, available for purchase, available on a free, I would guess. Uh, but before we get to the shambles of Manchester United, <laughs> we should probably spend some time praising Liverpool. Yes. Uh, they do get the 2-0 uh, win over Wolves. They push City all the way until the very end. And as you said, for 83 seconds, there was optimism, and I think deserved optimism, because... The thing that, like, I, I kept feeling like there was going to be some twist in this. It did feel like maybe it would require another Sergio Aguero, like, 90-second-minute goal and yeah. it takes it away from Liverpool or the other way around. And and I think I, I, I end up being not surprised by the way it went because I felt like City always had the strength and the depth and the kind of experience to finish top. But I'm still surprised that there weren't more kind of deviations from the norm along the way because it did feel like like Liverpool were destined for something. And I yeah. think that's why the, maybe the turnaround against Barcelona stands out all the more because now even if they don't win the Premier League, decent chance they win the Champions League uh, final. And then suddenly it's, yeah, push City all the way to the brink, uh, can can kind of come back next season in a stronger position and maybe possibly win the Champions League. That's a decent way to end the season. Yeah, not a bad consolation prize, really, that no. one, is it? I, I think uh, in, in many ways this Premier League title race was absolutely thrilling but in many other possibly more accurate ways it was actually quite boring the way they both finished yep. so strong wasn't it I think that's the, the, the point we're getting at there and uh, Liverpool fans have a lot of things to, to know they have some, many quantums of solaces if we're going to use mm-hmm. Bond terms here that, to make themselves feel better about this you know United have finished the se- uh, season terribly that's good for them they got yep. two of the golden boot winners on their side that's yep. pretty good for them they got the golden glove uh, Virgil van Dijk player of the year by the Premier League and by the Football Writers Association they blew in a Champions League final I mean, if you overlook the fact that they blew a nine-point lead in dramatic fashion, well, not that dramatic, in very slow fashion, then, uh, <laughs> then it's not uh, uh, not too bad. And that, that's what got me about the quotes that Jürgen Klopp gave um, at the end of the season. He said, we really could have done more. When you're opponent in this city, it's difficult. They couldn't get rid of us, and we couldn't get rid of, rid of them. We've improved so much to close a 25-point gap from last season. To me, that's Klopp really... You know, picking out the he's picking out the facts there. We really could have done, really couldn't have done more. He says, you could have not dropped that nine point gap, 
And then he says, mm-hmm. we've improved so much to close a 25-point 25, 25, gap from last season. Well, you did once again drop that nine-point gap. So you're, you're kind of you know, cherry-picking your facts a little bit there. But, I mean, no, I, I'm, I, not, I, I'm not I, disparaging I think... Liverpool here. Obviously, a tremendous finish. The top two teams here getting 195 combined points is quite ridiculous. And to finish the season, uh, this, is, this equals their club record uh, of winning 30 games in a league season. Last, last time they did that was in the yeah. 70s when there were 42 games. So a really incredible achievement. But to say we really couldn't have done more, you could have done more. Yeah, I, I, I take your point, and I take your point and kind of disagree with it at the same time, because like I go back to some of the articles I read when we were, because uh, uh, like in the lead up to discussing Riyad Mahrez, uh, it was sort of like you could cherry pick these moments of like, oh, he missed this, and he didn't do that, and this didn't quite go so well, and he should have mm. done that, and therefore it was a bad season, and it's like, well, you're talking about like a missed shot in October, and a missed penalty in like November, and another start in December, and then this one at the end of like March, and so it feels kind of spread out, and I think... You can, as you said, like I think Klopp kind of cherry picking there, uh, but I think you can also kind of cherry pick moments that Liverpool could have been better. But I think the difference is that normally when there's kind of a slip or there is that nine or seven point drop, I think that's been in 2019, like you you have these moments that where it's very obvious near the end, where it's Liverpool like are in pole position and then they lose one and then they and then they draw yeah. one and suddenly City overtake. And I think the fact that that happened in basically January and February, like. Yeah. Like was really when that kind of gap got closed, and then uh, City overtook when they play each other. Uh, I think that was even in January is that City beat Liverpool, and that was kind of seen as like, "Ooh, this could be a monumental moment." But because it happened so long ago, it kind of fades, and it feels almost nitpicky to go back to the beginning of 2019, whereas both of these teams have been on such amazing runs. Yeah. So I think you're totally right that like it was Liverpool kind of giving up those points, but it was also fair to assume when that happened that like, yeah, but City are going to drop points. It's- at some point, there's no way they can just win everything. That's insane. Mm. And then they win 14 straight, and it kind of is insane. I think it's it really shows how important it is when you hit your uh, your your rough yeah. patch in a season as well. Because City got their their losses out of the way in December. Then they were like, "Yep, yeah, we're going to be strong for the rest of the season." Mm-hmm. Where at that point, at sort of New Year, you were like, "Liverpool, you know, they've got a good lead here. They've still got to have that rough patch. Nobody gets through without that rough patch." And there we got it. it January and February is when they started to drop those points again, and it was it felt important for almost for City to get it out of their system before New Year for me. And I think that was important, and it just shows you how important it is to 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 to, to, to peak and trough at the right moment. And then, another mm. example you could say even at the other end of the table is Cardiff. Look how strong they finished in that campaign. They had done that, you know, seven or eight weeks mm-hmm. ago. Could have been a different story, maybe a different a different momentum they would have had. So it's a bit of a shame in that respect. Well, well I mean, to be fair, they're playing terrible opposition, so I think you can't really <laughs> give them too much credit on that one. Um, yeah. uh, I do also want to say about Liverpool, though, that Liverpool, similar to Man City, are a team that I think have been smart in their recruitment. And you can, if you're a Liverpool hater, you can absolutely ding them for like, yeah, it's easy to be smart in your recruitment when you're spending £70 million on this player and £65 million on this player and you're mm. willing to splash cash to get the players you need. But I guess, again, it goes back to me, that's modern Premier League. Like, yeah, you've got to splash cash and you've got to be able to effectively identify your vulnerable areas and be a little bit ruthless. And I think that's what Liverpool did in bringing in Alisson and letting go of Loris Carrias and kind of relegating Simon Mignolet. And Alisson has been a standout performer for them. I think that was money well spent. I think the ability to sign Nabi Keita and then wait until he's ready so or wait until he's allowed to go, that's 
an amount of patience that I think a lot of Premier League clubs don't have, but I think he's been a strong signing for them. And then even the way they've kind of gone about finding players at a discount, getting Jerdan Shakiri for, what, $12 million, I think it was, something yeah. like that. Like, that's insane, and that's a player who fills in capably in a second leg of a Champions League semifinal that you have to win 4-0, or at least 3-0, and he... Has rough patches, certainly, but still gets the, an assist for a goal and plays smart and plays well and does what's asked of him. And I think that right there, like it shows you that I think Liverpool are on the right track and continue to be on the right track in their recruitment policy. And they're one who I expect to strengthen. I think their CEO came out and said that Klopp would be backed in the offseason. Um, so I think they'll probably get stronger to try to keep pace or overtake Man City. But they've really put themselves in a good position with the players they've gone after and the way they've gone after them. Does backed mean drunk in German? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, something like that. Yes, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just I'm just teasing. Well, it does it does raise the point though. We we do assume that City are going to get even stronger over the summer, but mm-hmm. can Liverpool keep up this kind of pace on mm-hmm. City next season as they've done this season, or is this a one off? Like, whoa, they've sort of burned a lot of their jets off with this one. It's it's tough because they have had injuries. I mean, you've had Firmino missing time, and then Divac Origi comes in and does. Does Divac Origi things, which I guess now means scores goals. And Daniel Sturridge is still there. Maybe not quite the way he would have expected to be, but still around. And it's like you have depth in spots. And that's where I think that will require more ruthlessness from yeah. from Liverpool in terms of, yeah, we've got this guy. He's an okay, he's a capable replacement. But look at Man City, where if Sergio Aguero gets hurt, uh, I think there was a study that came out that was like the most used or most repeated substitutions. Man City's most repeated substitution, our most common one, was Sergio Aguero out, Gabriel Jesus in. Yeah. That's a decent, that's a decent replacement to have. Whereas I wouldn't say that, like, you would ra- rather have Gabriel Jesus starting for you than Divac Origi. And I think that's just being honest. I think you would rather have Riyad Mahrez or Leroy Sané as your, re- your replacements over Jadon Shakiri, even if that's a smart signing. And so I think if you're Liverpool, you have to look at it as like, yeah, we've got players who've gotten us here, but if we want to move to that next level, we can't really rest on that and we can't really get sympathetic. And that will require being a little bit ruthless, I think, and maybe signing a player who's going to come in and maybe supplant one of your starters or remove one of your kind of favorite bench players. And that may be the way they have to go in yeah. order to move forward. Well, I hear Coutinho might be available this summer. They should go for him. Oh, my Goodness, that I mean, it, it does. Like there were so many stories. I, again, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but to see those stories about Klopp had said to him, like, "Stay here, you'll be a legend. We'll build around you. Go to another club like Barcelona, and you'll just be another player." Mm. That really seems to have come to fruition. And <laughs> I, I think with the way it went in that semifinal, I think Coutinho might be looking back and thinking, "Ooh, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I made a mistake." Because I think things are going to be awkward at Barcelona, and there may be some change there this summer. We shall see. Uh, whereas uh, Liverpool, I would expect, will probably stick with uh, Jurgen Klopp and uh, keep things running the way they've been running. I expect they will. I expect they might stick with this formula. Just be interested to see if they can keep up that intensity. And I mean, obviously they're going to be intense, but whether they can, you know, go 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 round for round with City next season, I'll be very interested to see that. And who will be among them? And who? Maybe it'll still be another 20 points between those two teams and the others. Who's to say? It's the rich tapestry of this thing we call the Barclays. There we are. Well, we have more Premier League to discuss, uh, certainly, but I also wanted to talk about today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Uh, Ryan Bailey, I would like to know how you got ready for your day. So you're going to the dentist. I'm, I'm assuming you're like me and that like you want to be at least a little bit put together when you're going out in public. And when you have an, an engagement like the dentist, you're at least like, kind of like brushing and flossing. But I'm wondering, like, how did you get ready? What's your daily schedule? Are you shaving every day? Is it like an every other day sort of situation? I am a twice weekly or biweekly, if you will, oh. shaver. 
I like uh, I like to get it get it in twice a week, and I did it this morning because if I'm going to somewhere where someone's going to be touching my face a lot, I don't want to mm-hmm. be a gross and gruff, hairy, manly man. I want to be nice and smooth for the dentist. <laughs> that, see, that makes that makes sense. What about flossing? Where are you on flossing? We need uh, to talk about this. I do flossing we? once every six months when the uh, hygienist does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I I was flossing. I think I've said this before, but I was flossing like once a week and thought I was doing great. And then my wife told me that you're supposed to do it once a day, yeah. and my whole world was thrown into dis- yeah, disarray. I'm then not you sure read what to stuff that. that they're saying you shouldn't floss at, floss at all. I mean, ugh. I don't know yeah, where my, I stand. My, uh, my cousin, who's an, uh, an ER doc, has always like he's always held out on eating kale, not because he doesn't like it, but because he's waiting just out of spite for the story about how kale actually gives you some horrible disease. Because everything, <laughs> it seems, at some point becomes a negative thing. But not Dollar Shave Club, because nope. they have everything you need to prepare for the dentist or just your day in general. Because if you want to brush your teeth in the morning, as you probably should, they've got toothbrushes, they've got wonderful toothpaste, they've got uh, shave butter, shave lather, post-shave uh, creams and scrubs and all that good stuff to make sure you, you are smooth. So if the dentist is handling your face, uh, he or she might wonder, like, wow, this skin is perfect. <laughs> Maybe they overlook your, your poor flossing record because your skin is so nice. And then they've got uh, shampoo, conditioner, uh, face, face wash, soap, all that stuff to get you ready in the shower as well. So from top to bottom, from head to toe, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need uh, to get you going for your day. And right now, you can uh, get a Dollar Shave Club starter set for just $5 each. Ryan, how can they do that? What does Dollar Shave Club have for our listeners? Dollar Shave Club's got these little sh- sets, as you say, $5. It's got a shower one that's got a body cleanser, a shampoo, and a daily face cleanser in it. They've got the oral mm-hmm. care set, which is toothpaste and a toothbrush, as you would expect from a oral care set. Mm-hmm. And also they have the shaving set with razor cartridges, a razor handle, shave butter, mm, butter, shave post-shave <laughs> dew, and prep prep scrub, not Pep scrub. I think Pep uses Pep scrub, right? He does. Yes. And if you want to pep, get those, Pep scrub. Yep. You got to go to dollarshaveclub.com/tss. You can get all of those or any of those sets for just mm-hmm. five of your American dollar. That's dollarshaveclub.com/tss. One more time, dollarshaveclub.com/tss for those sets. I'm going to be getting some of those myself. They look jolly splendid. I love a they really are... good. Don't I mean? I love a really good like manly shower gel. That has like a manly scent to it because a lot, a lot of the uh, a lot of the shower gels in my home are, are, have been gender you know non-specific gender in the past. I'm I'm familiar with what you're getting. But at. But when yes, you get to like yes. a manly one, it's like I don't need to put aftershave or a, or a spray on today. I've just used a manly shower gel. I'm all good. The the one that I will say like I, I felt awkward with that because I was like oh I'm sure my wife prefers it when I smell of lavender and honey <laughs> and and then like the one the first time we got Dollar Shave Club I used their like their facial cleanser and they're like and they're like the body soap and she was like like you smell good and I was like oh okay so but apparently that is preferred over lavender and honey and whatever else so, I yes. prefer it when you smell uh, of lavender and honey for the record. Okay, well, that's fair. That's fair. I'll make sure to set that aside for you, Ryan. Uh, but then, and, and I've said before, I don't think it's in one of their uh, starter sets, but if you want to look at their individual products, uh, you listeners or Ryan, uh, I do use their pomade uh, pretty religiously because it is very strong. It has a nice hold, but it doesn't give you that sort of waxen uh, consistency that oh, nobody ever needs. I'm so in the market. Those, I want to try that. I'm going to try that for yeah, sure. We are. See, I'm just, I'm just making sales to Ryan. That's my goal now. <laughs> uh, but again, uh, yes, dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode ryan i think we now have to talk about manchester united i warned you in advance this may end up in a little bit of a rant this is something that daryl frequently has to navigate uh but he's not here right now and i'm i'm, I'm feeling i'm feeling agitated 
I'm sorry. Well, the the, uh, the following things that are going to relate to you, Tete, might not help that agitation. I'm going to lay down some headlines for you. Uh, eight losses in the last 12. Yep. You know, uh, um, only beaten, is it Watford and West Ham since March. Uh, Man United have only kept two home clean sheets in the Premier League this season. Their fewest to Old Trafford in a top flight campaign since the 60s. Uh, 32 points finishing behind the champions this season. The furthest they've been from the top since they were promoted back to the top flight in 1975 and if I'm not mistaken Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's form since he was brought in would uh, have uh, got points good enough for 15th place Mm -hmm. in the league relegation form from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer obviously uh, when Jose Mourinho we're staying up we're staying up 15th is still staying up so there's that that's a good achievement if you're Brighton not necessarily (laughs) if you're Manchester United who sacked their manager today by the way Brighton did so maybe not a good enough achievement (laughs) yeah we we could probably talk about that later but yeah Uh, I mean the the facts is the facts is the facts are Jose Mourinho left with the club in sixth place. They finished in sixth place, but it doesn't yeah. feel like there's been any progress made. Maybe a bit of uh, negative progress, if you will, in this team. I, I shall uh, defer to you to uh, give your thoughts on your lovely team and the finish to the season that they have had, because I doubt I mean, you're feeling very clever about it. I'm not. I'm not, and and I think the reason for that is not just because it's it's been a bad season, which it has been a, a difficult season. If you want to use, I think the the word that the players have all been told to say, because uh, in every social media post, it was a lot of difficult and uh, challenging, and not yeah, this sucked. We know. Yeah. Um, but but I think it it's been that in and of itself, like that happens. You have down seasons. I think it's just that I look at at Manchester United and I don't see a way that they get better or let me rephrase i see obvious ways they get better i see obvious ways that would make them uh competitors if not for the t- like for the title then at least for top four next season. Yeah. But I don't think those avenues are going to be taken. And I think a big part of that, yes, you can talk players, you can talk Solskjaer, and there are reasons to criticize both of those. But I think it keeps going back to me to the front office and, and the decisions that they've made. I mean, I would even say, as I've said on the show before, the hiring of Solskjaer, it's not just that they hire him on a permanent deal out of motivation or out of sort of emotion, which I do think is part of it. Yeah. Carl Anka was on here, and he talked about how it's also kind of a cost-cutting measure, and I think it is. He's on £7.5 million per season, three-year deal. That's more than uh, Klopp. That's more than Emery. That's more than Sarri. Yeah. Basically, it's second. It's third only to Guardiola and then Pochettino, who's on £8 million at Spurs. Mourinho was on £15 million. And so... That, to me, it's like seven and a half seems like a lot for Solskjaer, but when you realize that they probably, if they went after Pochettino, probably would have had to give him more than Mourinho. So then seven and a half compared to 16 or 17, you understand why they made that move. And I guess that's what it keeps coming back to for me is that it just seems like it's, it's, a, it's a club that's more of a business at this point. And I think a lot of decisions get made with business in mind. I promise I haven't been meaning to shape it this way, but like this is what I'm talking about with City and Liverpool, that yes, they're willing to spend money, and that's a big part of it, that maybe businesses don't always want to spend as much money as they can, but they're also willing to cut cut costs or kind of concede to having wasted money if a player didn't work out, whereas I think United don't want to do that. And mm. so I think they stick with players. I don't think they're going to be able to get rid of Alexis Sanchez, certainly not easily. And I think a big part of that is because nobody wants to be able to, to be the one who has to take the blame. Ed Woodward doesn't want to have to say, yeah, we shouldn't have made this deal. It was dumb. It has kind of destroyed our wage structure. Now everybody wants more money and we can't really afford it. It's easier to say, well, I don't know why the manager's not playing him. And maybe the player himself just isn't motivated. And you don't really have to explain Explore the sort of errors in your thinking. And so until they hire somebody who I think can do that, which would be a director of football, an experienced director of football, I, I don't see how they get any better from here. 
Yeah, it's interesting, one isn't? San- Sanchez, by the way, saying on uh, on his social media outlets that I, I have tried to be professional all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well done. You, that's yep. that's Excellent. literally the very minimum we could yep. expect from you, Alexis. <laughs> Thank you very much yeah. for that. Let me lay out a scenario for you uh, mm-hmm. in the coming weeks, though, Tay Tay. Put, put put your ears around this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Champions League final. Let's say in a crazy world, Tottenham Hotspur win it. Yep. Let's say Maurizio Pochettino goes. That's the summit of my experience at Tottenham Hotspur. Can't get any better than that. I shall do, say what Mourinho did in 2010 at Inter. I'm going to step away at this point because that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Then let's say Manchester United are like, oh, there's Pochettino, the manager we've been linked with for most of the year before we gave the permanent job to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Shall we sack this guy and shall we get Pochettino instead? How do you think that scenario plays out? Could there, is that something that could happen? Because I think it maybe should I, I guess it could happen if they had like lo- if they continued this run of form and if things didn't look like they'd improved after a full preseason and an offseason where maybe Solskjaer is able to get rid of some players, bring in some new players. If it doesn't seem like there's much progress, then maybe. Mm. But I think this is what I'm saying is that no, I don't think they end up doing that because they've spent at this point they've invested twenty two and a half million. They will have invested in the Solskjaer's contract. I'm I'm assuming a huge chunk of that is guaranteed, and I'm gonna guess. There's no way they could have gotten him at least for this season and probably for next season on a champion like like uh, Champions League guarantee sort of contract like what they had with David Moyes where if he didn't make Champions League if United didn't qualify for the Champions League then they could fire him at a discounted rate. I, <laughs> there's no way Solskjaer would have agreed to that. No. This season, because there's no guarantee that they would have gotten top four, um, especially in the position he took over. So I think that they probably don't have much recourse to get him out of his contract so it then means paying him that full amount and I guess that's what I mean is I think that they don't want to take that hit Ed Woodward doesn't want to have to say yeah I made a mistake we shouldn't have signed him that's the what fourth manager now that I've sacked uh, that's been sacked since I took over maybe it's only the third yeah it's fourth manager since I took over but it's still like it's not a good look for him so I don't think they would do it and that's what's especially troubling for me as a fan, not as a person who is supposed to be neutral and does a show, but it's the idea that, like, yeah, you could have Pochettino out there, who I think would be a very good manager and has proven himself hang to on, be a very good hang manager. On. Back up here. You think they wouldn't do it because they think it looks bad? You think this is a club that th- worries about if it looks bad? Yeah. I, well, I think I think they worry about if it looks bad from a business for standpoint. For their stock I don't price. Think that they care. For their I official they, diesel yep. engine partner. Mm. Exactly. That's what I think they care about. I think that Ed Woodward is a business forward business facing person and i think he doesn't like the metrics of oh yeah i i made this appointee appointment and it's not working so we're going to get another one in there i think at a certain point he has to take a hit and i think he probably does what he can to make sure that hit doesn't fall on him yeah so i think that it will be oh look see solshire can't even write this locker room and these players just don't want it enough and i think you get those narratives coming out as a result i do think that there's probably going to be a clear out uh to the extent possible but i really like i went through a list and i feel like if I gave you 10 players names you would probably lean towards yeah they could probably be sold or gotten rid of and there's no way you get rid of 10 players in an offseason yeah and there's no way you do that without a director of football who has a plan in place so it's just sort of it's still just a very confusing thing as a fan and I think it's probably led to a lot of disillusionment from Manchester United's fans and I don't necessarily know how they get them back i don't think selling paul pogba is going to be the answer but i also think that's something they're going to do this summer as well would that not be best for the team in general selling him though not just for the not just for the uh funds it will create um yeah i mean it's confusing because i still don't know i i still enjoy paul pogba uh as a player as a person i enjoy him and so i would like it to work and i think 
we've seen in moments where he was kind of utilized properly and felt properly motivated and included, I would say Juventus and France in the World Cup, mm-hmm. where he was he was effectively a role player. Like he wasn't Paul Pogba taking the game by the scruff of the neck and making things happen. He was a like almost a number eight who sat in at right back on occasion or occasionally at left back when he needed to. Like that's a role player, and that shows to me that he will do that if it feels like the kind of players around him are all kind of working towards the same goal. And I think when they're not, you see Paul Pogba as the individual. Emphasized, I'm sure people have seen this, but if not, it's pretty damning. The uh, the first, or no, excuse me, the second Cardiff goal, I believe it was, uh, was the basically him just failing to mark on a throw-in and letting his player just run behind him, fails to track Murphy, Murphy then squares it, and it's a goal for Cardiff. Yeah. But it's just right there, like, that's the complete lack of motivation from him. And I think... Then you see him kind of getting into it with fans at the end of the game, and there was a little bit of them saying, like, you know, you're a disgrace, which he probably is not going to take too nicely. But I think there's a reason why those fans are frustrated, and I do think that if maybe he has felt a little bit frustrated by the way the season has gone, I think there's a decent chance that he is going to end up at Madrid if those talks haven't illegally already started. Uh, And I really do think that. I think Paul Pogba probably leaves, and I think it will be spun as, you know, it, it was he was a distraction this season, and now we can sort of reinvest that money and focus on building a core squad. Yeah, but I don't. Re- again, I don't really know then who is the person you build around in that core squad. Like, is it Marcus Rashford? Is it Scott McTominay? Is it Lindelof? Like, are those the names that that people are players out there are going to rally around and want to go to Manchester United to play with under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I don't really know. I mean, all I can say is I can't wait for the show mid-July when we're talking about the Neymar deal and how how, how he's going to improve Man United. Oh, I mean, Neymar, <laughs> would be, that might be the top of my list of players I don't want Manchester United to go after. <laughs> uh, Gareth Bale is up there somewhere. Daryl, by the way, vehemently disagrees. Daryl thinks Manchester United should go for Gareth Bale. I will, I will leave him to advocate that one. Uh, well, they do like I wasting think, money. Like, <laughs> so there you go. Exactly. Perfect. That's that is an Edward Wood move. Is get rid of Paul Pogba, bring in Gareth Bale. Perfect. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah. Um, and I don't. I don't want to like ramble on too much more about this, but I am going to for one more moment because I guess what I've kind of been trying to get to, but it's hard to, is just the idea that like usually I think when you have if you're in a situation. I don't like. I guess like Arsenal, maybe maybe is an example, maybe a bad example, or Wolves. Wolves are definitely a team that's going to strengthen, but have a coach who clearly the players believe in, mm. have an ownership group who are willing to spend money, and they seem to be building around the kind of strategy and approach their manager wants, and so they're bringing in players that fit that or can play in that system. And and I feel like so if you're a Wolves fan as Daryl is, you kind of look towards next season with a lot of optimism because there's a plan in place. So any player that's brought in, it seems like they're being brought in to kind of fit within that system. And I think that's what I go back to with Manchester United is that there's no director of football. There's they're they're on their fourth permanent manager since uh since Sir Alex Ferguson stepped away now. And I don't really know what they do like from this point in terms of if you bring in players if you don't have a director of football is it more of the same they spent i think 870 million pounds since june of 2011 under Mourinho, they spent over 400 million on 11 players alone so that's 470 million under Alex ferguson david moyes and van hall up until the jose Mourinho era and like so you've got this kind of mishmash of players signed by various managers or kind of motivated by various managers to be signed mm. and i don't know how you then kind of 
move forward and what signing would make me be like, yep, yeah, okay, this is definitely a step in the right direction. Now I get it. And so it feels like no director of football, ownership that's maybe a little bit too business-facing, a manager that they promoted prematurely, a squad that needs a clear-out and reinvestment, but also no one really to oversee that investment. And it really leaves me scratching my head as to what they're going to do. And it's why I'm not nearly as optimistic about next season as probably Wolves fans yeah, should be, for example. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I mean, it does look like such a big job. I mean, I'm just looking at the mm-hmm. squad. I'm looking at thinking, which of these players would actually get into an, another of, the, say, the, the top four teams right now? Which which of these players would you even put in you know, in their squad? I mean, maybe Pogba and Rashford, I'm thinking. But I wouldn't take anyone else and put them in any, any one of those other teams. In a combined, say, yeah. City and United 11, I, I wouldn't put any of these players in. Would you? No, I mean, I, th- I think the one that people used to hang their hat on was it would usually get like David De Gea would be thrown in there. Yeah. They'd throw in one defender, like usually Luke, Luke Shaw. I'm saying seasons past, like Luke Shaw might get in there because City's left backs are like occasionally inconsistent or like, you know, like Benjamin Mendy, Zinchenko. I don't know if those are two that would necessarily go in over Luke Shaw. Uh, I mean, Delph probably wouldn't either. Uh, so like, so maybe those are like the two, but again, those are like very conditional. It's not the, and you kind of have to make the argument. And nowadays, yeah, I would say a combined city United 11 is probably Man City. Yeah. And maybe Paul Pogba gets thrown in because he's Paul Pogba. But that's only because of his like kind of reputation and his like moments of brilliance, and not necessarily because he looks unplayable or is definitely one of the best central midfielders that you could kind of throw in there. Uh, if Guardiola were coaching him, maybe that's the case, but he's not, so he isn't. But like, do do the same exercise with Chelsea, or do the same with you know mm-hmm. with Liverpool. I don't see any of these players getting any of those teams really either. It's it's nah. just it's just a really. I'm, I feel sorry for you, and I don't very rarely Thanks, feel buddy. sorry for Manchester United fans because you've had know, a decent run. But I appreciate. I mean, that. you just look at that. Look at that. It's so underwhelming in terms of what mm. Manchester United should be. Oh, it's wonderful. Here's my I love it. Here's my. I know you do. Here's my question then for you: uh, Which would you rather be a fan of at this point, Manchester United, given everything we've said, mm. or Chelsea, given uh, the kind of looming transfer ban? And the fact that I believe it has become public that Aiden Hazard is going to be joining Real Madrid for around 100 million euros. So which, which one do you think is in a rougher situation right now? It is amazing to me that I'm not sure I know the answer to this. Uh, you coming to me personally as a, a supporter of another team in Southwest London, mm-hmm. a couple of miles yes. away from Chelsea. So my answer... I, Difficultly would be Chelsea. But I think they're in less of a, I mean, got much better. I think you'd have much higher hopes for, for next season if you're a Chelsea mm-hmm. fan, even if they don't have any, even if this the band does take hold, because yes. I think they've got a good core squad in place. I think Sari has another year to build upon. I think you've got mm-hmm. so many players you could bring in. Uh, on, oh, should we, should we go full blown talk about Chelsea now? Because I could, I could go yeah. on to this one, definitely. Let's do it. I mean, look, look at all I've, the. Pri- I've ranted enough about Manchester United <laughs> for sure. You, 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 you stay pretty calm during that. I'm impressed with your, uh, with your, uh, with your control there well done on that one and I've said this uh, before well, I, I had a lit lighter like held uh, below my palm for the entire time <laughs> just to sort of kind of uh, manage the pain have you cracked your desk in half I'm sure you have yeah <laughs> I mean I think I've said this before in this show not buying anyone isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world we've seen it work yep. for Tottenham City only added one player last season effectively and you know you know I, I don't see it being a big problem particularly for Sari who doesn't like to rotate that very often anyway and look at all the players they got to fall upon who are on loan. They've got Tammy Abraham, who's been bossing it in the championship, and Batshuari, uh, 
Bakayoko's been d- doing much mm-hmm. better in Italy this season. And uh, you've got Reese James at Wigan, who's a pretty versatile player. Kurt Zuma, Mason Mount, and, and, mm-hmm. and players at Chelsea who could get a bigger role, who very much deserve a bigger role, like Loftus-Cheek or uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Yep. There's so much... I think, you know, not only do they have a much better squad on paper than Manchester United, but I feel like they've got more potential and they've got a manager with a philosophy, even if the backroom aren't necessarily working towards that philosophy... But I would feel much more positive if I were a Chelsea fan. And I think that's a fairly obvious answer, is it not? Yeah. It's, no, I think it is. I think, uh, worth noting, you pointed this one out before we started recording. Uh, so FIFA rejected Chelsea's transfer ban appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chelsea have said they will take it to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And I think that's the usual protocol that teams that have had this in the past, Bar- Bartha- Barcelona and Atleti, uh, to name two. Uh, basically, they do that. That gives them that summer to then be able to uh, sign players. Then they're banned for what it would be January of 2020 and yeah. the summer of 2021. Um, and so I think that's probably what they will go for. I've said before, I don't necessarily know if they need to because I think that they've kind of already been preparing for the loss of Aiden Hazard I'm not saying I am not saying I am not saying that Christian Pulisic <laughs> is a like-for-like replacement for Aiden Hazard but I do think he was signed in in with a, like a lens toward we're probably going to lose this very creative uh, wide attacker or player who can play wide as an attacker maybe Christian Pulisic can fill those shoes a little bit and he kind of softens that blow a tiny bit. And so I think that they've kind of done a little bit of preparatory work there. And then I think you're absolutely right that uh, the math I have in front of me is that they have 40-plus players on loan, yeah. 20 youth players signed to professional deals, and 25 on their full roster, not including those youth players. That's 85, more than 85, excuse me, players on their books right now. So I think even if they lose Aiden Hazard, who's a massive player for them, um, even if they weren't to appeal this, this uh, ban, they would still have... 85-ish players that they could choose from to form a senior squad and a senior squad that I think would be pretty solid. That said, I think they will then maybe look to appeal this and splash a bit of cash if they are going to let go of Aiden Hazard for 100 million euros. That gives them enough money to sign a few players. Uh, And yeah, I mean, I think then you've got to look at, say, like Callum Hudson-Odoi. Yes, he could get more time. The injury will factor into that one. I think it was a Blown Achilles, I think. Mm. Uh, so that's gonna that may keep him out for a good long while, uh, probably through some big chunk of, of next season as well. His Achilles heel is Achilles heel, definitely. Yeah, exactly. So, I but I still think there's enough depth and enough talent already on the books that they'll be just fine. And then if they strengthen a little bit more, yeah, I, I see Chelsea in a very strong position, especially since. I mean, Tottenham will probably need to reinforce. I think there's going to be lots of clubs coming in to try to get some of uh, Spurs' players yeah. this offseason, uh, both from the Premier League and abroad. Uh, Real Madrid looming large there. Mm. I think Arsenal will need to retool or at least kind of figure some things out for themselves. Manchester United we've already talked about. So I think Chelsea are in a in a significantly stronger position uh, than I would have expected them to be, for sure. Definitely. And they're in Boston right now, by the way, for not really any good reason that's fun isn't it <laughs> you gotta try to get, get out of uh the the, the band while you can you flee to boston exactly yeah yeah going into boston was that the dropkick murphy's possibly <laughs> that's a that's a that's a discount version of shipping up shipping to up to boston yes. that's it oh, i've watched the departed i know that it's in that film about 10 times but uh, uh the um court of arbitration for sport i was gonna say can you imagine a worse job the working for them, having high-powered lawyers from top clubs, mainly Spanish ones, it seems, coming to you saying, "Oh, we've been banned." You, yeah, but you know, didn't stick to the rules. Yeah, but we don't want to have the ban, even though we didn't stick to the rules. Oh, what a job yeah, that I mean, must be. I, I would say, I mean, that 
at least is is the the club sort of admitting that they maybe didn't do it right to some extent. I I, I feel like that over was it City's lawyers or PSG's lawyers who were just like, fine, take us to court, we'll destroy you. Yeah, that was City, like, wasn't like, it? Yeah, we will unleash the like, power of a thousand lawyers upon you. <laughs> exactly. I think I'd rather I'd rather have the the club come in and sort of be like antagonistic, but only have maybe ten lawyers as mm. opposed to the club come in with. You know, eight thousand lawyers and a whole bunch of photocopied documents that are like you can't then index, and they're just going to make it impossibly difficult for you. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a very fun job for them. I'm sure they're well paid for it, but yes, I would not look forward to having some of the probably future trials that they're going to have, or I just, future uh, cases that they're going to have. I relate everything in my life to The Simpsons, and I just picture that uh, Monty Burns has like a fire truck full of lawyers that pulls up, and like the sirens <laughs> blaring, and they're all like hanging off the edge with their briefcases. I just imagine that just pulling up at the CAS offices every so often oh boy i mean yeah I, a fire fire truck makes sense i feel like city would be a double-decker bus maybe i don't know if they would i feel like it would be more luxurious than that but i would expect a several busloads of lawyers to be involved if, if city ever have to end up having to do anything um but we should move on to like actual soccer not all leagues are finished there are other competitions that are still taking place we should maybe move to the bundesliga if that works for you the title race still on with one game remaining uh i am surprised by that but still not really willing to uh go back on my earlier statement that i feel like Bayern munich have won this title or will end up winning this title yeah, it does seem rather inevitable that Bayern Munich will get this done, but it was fun to see Borussia Dortmund do their will. They won't they win this game thing, which they seem to be doing quite a lot lately. This uh, seemed like a very entertaining game, uh, which once again, we saw Christian Pulisic put an absolutely brilliant performance in, which was nice to see. And uh, we've got two points separating them at the moment with uh, Bayern Munich playing Eintracht Frankfurt on the mm-hmm. last day. Interestingly, I did a little look into their head-to-heads. They did beat them last year in the DFB Pokal, uh, Frankfurt did, so there is a glimmer of hope there. But they haven't beaten Bayern in the league since 2010, and this yeah. one is at the uh, Allianz Arena. So methinks Bayern will be the ones dousing each other in giant uh, mugs of beer. After and I believe I'm correct in saying that the man who was coaching Eintracht Frankfurt in that final is now coaching Bayern Munich. So, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's probably uh, maybe not uh, a thing that Dortmund fans will love to hear. Yeah. Uh, we should note, yeah, Bayern home to Eintracht Frankfurt, Dortmund away to Gladbach. Uh, Frankfurt and Gladbach both chasing the final Bundesliga Champions League spot, yeah. as well, which I believe Gladbach occupy right now. So both of those teams do have something to play for. But the other thing worth noting, um, while, yeah, so a draw would put them both level on points if Bayern drew and Dortmund won. So mm-hmm. they're both on 76. The difference there being that uh, Bayern right now have a plus 52 goal difference, uh, Dortmund plus 35. Yeah. So it would need to be Dortmund winning by 18 and then Bayern drawing. Otherwise, I think basically a Bayern loss is what Dortmund are going to need, uh, which, you know, stranger things have happened. We shall see. It's been a weird end of the season overall because you have like the Champions League insanity, but then you also sort of have, as we've already talked about, the Premier League sort of going the way we thought it would. France went the way we thought it would. Uh, Spain, Italy went the way we thought they would. So we'll see if Germany kind of uh, continue on with the kind of the narrative of the season. Uh, But instead of talking about that for right now, let's talk about Christian Pulisic for a moment because, Mm -hmm. as you said, another strong game for him uh, in his final game at home for Dortmund. Uh, They've got there on the road, as I said. So maybe he continues this fine run of form. Um, what do you think then the future holds for him at Chelsea? As I said, probably not the like direct replacement for Aiden Hazard that people would like to see, Chelsea fans would like to see, certainly. Um, what do you think next season looks like for him? 
Do you think it's success? Do you think it's a good move? Any of those answers uh, would be appreciated. I think it is a good move, particularly securing his services before this ban comes in seems to be an inspired bit of a, in hindsight, it seems inspired anyway, doesn't it? And uh, when when the deal was first announced, I was thinking, oh, really? Where does he kind of fit into that team? But I think it kind of, it makes sense the more you think about it, because of the way Chelsea play, because of the way Sarri play, you know, that build-up play from the midfield, likes to put those through balls in either to the middle of the box or to those wide areas where a player cuts it back. And I could see Pulisic very much being suited to that kind of attacking movement as well. And just looking at the way he's ended this season, these last three or four games with Dortmund, he's looked sensational, hasn't he? So he's really gearing up for something here. And I think he's more than a match for, for, for the Premier League. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing him uh, playing in the Premier League. And particularly if Eden Hazard does uh, get his fi- finally gets his wish to go and uh, join Mr. Mr. Zizou. In Madrid, I yeah. think it'd be uh, it'd be really good for them. And um, yeah, I, I, are you with me on this one? I think I think this is the other reason why I sort of like I would be more optimistic if I were a Chelsea fan than a United fan right now is mm. because Chelsea uncharacteristically stuck with Maurizio Sarri. Now maybe they sack him this summer. I don't know. I feel like that's increasingly unlikely. And I think yeah, if they get rid of Aiden Hazard, not to paint him as like the malcontent, but it feels like he is one who of a couple of Chelsea players who didn't really love Sarri ball, didn't really buy into the system, yeah. and has has previous of not necessarily wanting to do things that he doesn't want to do for his manager, Jose Mourinho being the obvious one there. Jose Mourinho has beef with everybody though, so you know, again, big grain of salt. But huh. I do look at like what I think of with the Napoli teams that were so successful under Maurizio Sarri, and it's it's hard work, and it's a lot of running, and it's buying into the system. Yeah. And Gonzalo Higuain has not looked as sharp as maybe uh, Sarri would have liked, but I think another season, a preseason, maybe that helps him uh, if if they end up getting him on like a permanent. I think he's still on loan. I can't remember if it's a permanent deal or not. But if they go for him, like he has familiarity. Uh, Jorginho obviously does. N'Golo Kante, while it hasn't been his best season and there's been much made of him kind of being shifted out of his position, he seems like a player who just kind of is down for whatever he's been asked to do by his manager. That yeah. seems to be his M.O. And so then you bring in Christian Pulisic, who I think will perform like the the tasks given and what's asked of him and I think will will work hard and try hard and I th- and I think that maybe is like oversimplification but I think it's a big part of kind of endearing yourself to Maurizio Sarri and so I think he will be a player that kind of fits what Sarri wants to do with Sarri ball or modified Sarri ball and I think yeah I think it ends up being a smart move for them and a solid move for them and a solid move for Christian Pulisic uh, at a time when even though he's getting minutes now and has started to improve and I feel like was a direct response to me kind of talking about how he hasn't been dominant for Dortmund, it yeah. does still feel like he's kind of reached his the point where he needs a move from Dortmund. And that's not a thing that I've ever said previously, I don't think. Daryl and I talked about how he felt like he was in the perfect position at Dortmund, at a big club, still getting minutes, still playing in the Champions League. But it does feel like the way this season has gone, his lack of consistent minutes, his lack of consistent starts, it feels like it's a smart time for him to move. Uh, and it's a smart, I think, place for him to go if things kind of continue as we think they might. Uh, if they implode dramatically, as they also might, then maybe it ends up being a bad move. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see indeed. But I'm, uh, to continue my run of uh, comparing everything to The Simpsons, Taylor, I'm, I'm, uh-huh. watching, I'm seeing you in your Man United shirt disappear back into the hedge a la Homer. And then you're emerging <laughs> with a nice blue shirt, or a terribly designed blue shirt, as it were, for next season. Uh, is it, you know, we'll, he, we'll see... I don't think I'll ever wear like I, I don't I do not think I will ever like 
hardcore support another team again. The thing I have said before is what I what I feel like I may end up being is more of a sports atheist. Uh, like I'll always root for DC United. I'll always root for Galatasaray. Manchester United, like even if they're just like shambles of a club, it's still Manchester United. The one like they were linked with uh, an ownership takeover from the Saudi government. That would do it for me. I think I would be out of, on Manchester United. Then I would kind of disappear to the hedge and emerge. I guess either shirtless or just wearing like an actual just T-shirt mm. and not a Manchester United jersey. Uh, if we're going that Homer route, very principled of you. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I'm I'm just gonna go wallow in my misery. Uh, but <laughs> we <laughs> instead, actually instead of doing that. I'm going to talk about the championship. Let's talk about that. That'll yeah. make me feel better. The championship playoffs. We're talking about teams that uh, could eventually find their way to the Premier League. Uh, first legs are done. Aston Villa with a 2-1 to win at home against West Brom. Derby with a 1-0 loss at home uh, to Leeds United. Uh, anything jump out to you from either of these games, Mr. Bailey? Uh, yeah, lots of things. I thought the uh, Conor Horain uh, goal in the uh, Villa-West Brom game was pretty wonderful, wasn't it? Tammy Abraham had a very good uh, shift, which I'm sure um, Chelsea will be keeping an eye on. And Holmes in the Derby Leeds game. Did you see him in that in action? There's a, there's a clip going around on Twitter of him being an absolute pit bull, of getting a, no. you know th- um, three or four tackles in in a row. He looks he looks this. vicious. He looks great. So I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more from him as well. Um, I, I just thought these are the perfect pairings. Oh, one more thing I should say: Jack Harrison did, did an amazing assist yep. for um, for the uh, for the goal in the Derby Leeds game as well. So um, that was uh, that was really good to see too. But yeah, the, the, these two championship semi-finals have been like, really well paired off. You've got the Midlands Derby, and then you've got the Spygate Derby in the other one. I just, you know, I'd like to see any one of these four teams in the Premier League, I think. The winner here is the consumer, me and you. There we go. I think I think heading into this one, I was definitely pulling for Villa. I think I, I was like mixed between Derby and Leeds uh, after watching uh, the extended highlights of both of these games, uh, missing the uh, the the uh, three tackles in a row, so I apologize for that. <laughs> I think, yeah, Villa leads is probably what I would like to see in the championship final oh. or playoff final just because, yeah, like that, that uh, the goal that you, you talked about already, uh, Jack Harrison with the ball in for Kamar Roof, like that ball is that sort of perfect bending around the back line who are kind of dropping back in, but it's far enough away that the goalkeeper is never getting to it. It's just such a perfect ball. That's amazing. The finish is calm and composed and exactly what you want from your goal scorer, but it's also the fact that it's Leeds sort of playing a series of quick tempo, like high tempo, short range passes that really pull Villa out and open up the space for Harrison to then be able to play that ball in. And it's just sort of like you see that sort of combination and you're like, oh, right, Bielsa. Yeah, Bielsa's still there. Mm -hmm. So I think they would be a really exciting team to have in the final and to have back in the Premier League because it does feel like those players have bought in. And then for Villa, I think it's just, it's, they're just kind of fun and chaotic to watch. And I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoyed Jack Grealish uh, drawing a penalty, uh, which Tammy Abraham converted, I think, as you mentioned. But Grealish had a lot of the ball, definitely seemed to be one of their kind of like key creators. Yeah. Uh, and I thought did very well uh, in that capacity. And I also think Villa have to kind of be favoring themselves because Dwight Gale uh, scores a screamer of an opener for West Brom, but then trying to make something happen in the dying moments uh, goes in on a kind of, what he thought I think was a 50 50 ball with the goalkeeper was definitely not a 50 mm-hmm. 50 ball gets his second yellow gets the red card so will be suspended for the second leg which West Brom absolutely need to win and will need goals to win yeah so I think that's a big negative for West Brom and why I would not be surprised if it was Villa v Leeds in the final I'm with you on that one I do I think Jack Grealish is an interesting case to look at because he was involved in all three goals basically he wasn't mm-hmm. including the one against him where his pass oh, uh, yes. was let through by Glenn Whelan which is not yeah. unfortunate for Grealish but he's 
he's one of those players, we did see him pretty young in the Premier League. And I wonder if he's one of those ones who's really, really super good in the championship, but not quite at the level you need him at the Premier League. So I'd like to see mm-hmm. uh, give him another run at that level, definitely. And obviously, much respect to him for sticking with Villa through you know his childhood club, the club he supports. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, but I, I agree with you also. I'd like to see Leeds go through just because I think, as you mentioned, that, that Bielsa's style and having Bielsa in the top flight will be a lot of fun. But at the expense, Tete, of a Frank Lampard versus John Terry championship playoff final, <laughs> it'll be at the expense of that. And I kind of want to see that too. Right, well, maybe if West Brom do pull it back, we can just uh, petition to have a sort of third place game played. <laughs> yeah. or I guess fourth place game is what it would end up being. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we could do that. Uh, I'd, I'd be fine with that one. So you, you can still get your wish if things don't go that way. But yes, <laughs> uh, if they do, then we'll get uh, yeah John Terry, Frank Lampard. The match that everybody has been clamoring for, mm. I think. I, I also think you're absolutely right, though, about Grealish. Like, that he, there are moments uh, against West Brom where he has the ball in West Brom's 18 and still has, like, two yards of space, and no one is really trying to close him down, and he's kind of able to, like, yeah. look around and look around and look around. In fact, I think that's where the uh, Harry Haynes screamer, the equalizer, comes from, is Grealish short of having time and time and time, and then he's like, oh, I guess I'll just lay it off for him to hit one time. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that amount of time and lack of pressure in the Premier League. No. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see if he gets there how he does. Uh, but to do so, uh, the second legs must first be played. Uh, second leg of Villa-West Brom, or I guess West Brom v. Villa this time around, Tuesday at 3 p.m., then Leeds hosting Derby. Uh, uh, Wednesday at 3 p.m. So we will have our championship final uh, by the end of the week. Or at least we'll have the kind of uh, participants uh, scheduled for that one. Few other things we wanted to talk about before we get done with the show today. Uh, Ryan, you put this one down, and I'm so happy you did. Should we talk Juventus shirts? Can we talk Juventus jerseys for a moment? I'd love to. I'd love to. Juventus revealing their shirts for next season. They've gone away from the stripes, I think, believe for the first time in 100 years. The quote from, yeah. their, uh, from their people, Tradition is no limit for Juventus but a source of inspiration for the future. The 2019-20 home kit interprets this concept of selling out and promises to become the star of the next season. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, the room, well, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know how substantiated this is, but on social media, the perception is that they've done their market research. And in the US, fans are confusing or, uh, you know, set, thinking the shirts uh, are too similar to referee jerseys out here. So they've decided to do it for the sake of the market here. Now, I'm not sure how true that is, as I say. And I actually quite like the way these new shirts look. And in their defense, I'd say look at Barcelona, who changed the stripes from the direction they go in to the amount of stripes to going half and half like Juventus do all the time. So I don't have a big problem with it. But what I do have a problem with is with Juventus really pandering to, they're, they're, just try, they're, they're really tryharding. They're tryharding so much with like changing their badge because they think it will suit young people better and, yep. and changing the shirt design because they think that young Americans will like it a bit more. I, I, I kind of compare them, unfairly or not, to like an Instagram model. They're just like really desperate for your attention in so many ways. Yep. I, I think they're going to start selling me protein shakes pretty soon. I think this is where we're going to get to. And photoshopping their jersey to make it look appealing. Yeah, I think they'll be doing that too. That yeah. that is the Instagram uh, reality. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I guess I kind of am of the mindset that either this is a damning criticism of global warming because they think this is what's going to happen to zebras that they're just going to get increasingly less stripes, so they're trying to you know uh, represent that. Or more likely, I think it is an appeal to yeah, like I. And I don't know if I even agree with this line of thinking that I'm kind of making up, but like it does feel like they're sort of looking at 
what is a jersey that like a casual soccer fan is going to buy? And they're probably going to buy something that's pretty basic, pretty simple, unless it's an amazing jersey like the Nigeria World, World Cup jerseys. Yeah. And I feel like that's because they've kind of made a statement. They've connected it to culture and identity. Then that makes sense. Whereas for Juventus, I think they're not going to make that bold of a step. And they feel like, ah, we've kind of done the stripes before. It's hard to move new ones. So let's just change it up completely. And maybe somebody will want to wear a, a, just a black and white kind of panel jersey with a weird pink stripe down the middle. Not sure about that one. Um, but I do feel like it's an appeal towards selling more jerseys, either because you can only sell so many black and white striped jerseys yeah. before people feel like they have that, yeah. uh, or just because they want to make it look a little bit more palatable. But I think they've gone the opposite route, and they've kind of removed the tradition and gotten away from something that I think most people would agree was a great look. But hang on, we've already established also- that tradition is no limit for Juventus, Taylor. It's no uh, limit yes, to them. They're not bound by tradition. Oh, They're not even bound that. by playing to the rules in the league. We know that. Is it? It is weird, man. I forget that they like they they redid the logo and then they got the Jeep sponsorship, right? Uh, not I sure on the like timeline. Feel like that was the timeline because I remember at the time people being like, "Oh, they've got a Jeep logo for a, for their crest now." That's weird. And then suddenly they have <laughs> Jeep on their shirt, and and that may have just been like maybe I'm misremembering. That's one. Two, that may have just been like coincidental that then Jeep came along and decided to pay a bunch of money. But I feel like there's three, which is that they had like some kind of a, a conversation about like, yeah, we'll get you involved in the redesign and it'll all look good. And all of those are indicative to me of Juve that I could believe all of them again, which is a sign that they're just kind of making some decisions towards selling some jerseys, increasing market share, maybe trying to remain competitive for if and when the uh, European Super League launches, and they oh, can definitely boy. be a part of that. Well, their, their president, Agnelli, of course, is the president of the uh, organization trying to push for that European Super League. So there's no there's some joined-up thinking there you've just made. Hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Let's end on a happier note, shall we? Let's. Uh, we uh, we talked about Germany briefly, uh, very very briefly, I should add. Uh, but we want to talk about Schalke for a moment because uh, David Wagner has taken over at Schalke, has been mm. given the job there, formerly of Huddersfield, uh, was sacked this season, but in like very amicable circumstances that it, it felt almost just like the the board. We're like, yeah, it's kind of what we have to do at this point, but we recognize that we haven't given you any money and have the, like, I think the second lowest budget, if not the lowest budget. Cardiff might have had the lowest budget, but I think for what he did for keeping them up last season, for getting Huddersfield to the Premier League in the first place. Yeah. Like, I would, I would caution people, not that many people are, but I would caution people against sort of looking at this as like, oh, they, a guy who got sacked by a team that was relegated, that's who Schalke are going for. And I would see it more as a guy who has played for Schalke, so has connections to the club, has uh, coaching experience going back to Borussia Dortmund under Jurgen Klopp, and has kind of brought those new innovative ideas and, and has brought his own new innovative ideas to Huddersfield. I would expect him to do the same to Schalke, and I think it's a very solid appointment. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you looked at the positions of uh, not hiring someone because they've been sacked previously then no one would ever get hired anywhere and what is that yes look at look at Ranieri as well of course uh, falling upwards into uh, his current mm. position as well so it's a, a similar thing but I, I, I think I can I think it's a very good position for Wagner to be in because he can't get any worse than nearly going yep. down so well I suppose you could yeah, go I down mean, but- I mean getting really yeah, getting relegated by Huddersfield and then nearly with Schalke nearly going down. Yeah, he's in a strong position to like, like yeah, it can't get any worse for me. I am happy where I am. Yeah, but I mean, uh, even then, in terms of the Schalke job, I mean, he can't he can't do any worse than they've done this season. The only no, way is up, I don't right? Think so. Yeah, I I I cannot imagine them 
being back in the relegation zone, uh, which they were in for a little bit of time. And I, yeah, I, I think even bottom half of the table, I don't expect to see that next season. And then I'm also excited because this is, again, maybe I'm reaching here, but David Wagner uh, is a U.S. international. Uh, so there are plenty of Americans at Schalke. And I do like to think that maybe there's a chance that he, you know, continues to give young Americans some minutes and some looks in the senior team. Uh, and certainly Weston McKinney, I think, will be a, a David Wagner favorite, not just because of the American connection, but because he is all about heart and hustle. And I think that will be a key component of uh, Schalke next season. Wunderbar. 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 Uh, any other topics we did not get to or you would like to mention, Ryan, before we wrap up today? Um, just my weekly mention of Axel Wibberton, how great we are, how Willie Downs deserves to be manager uh-huh. of the uh, season. That's about it, of course. Okay. No more Simpsons references before we go? <laughs> Maybe. And you know, one, uh. one more thing I will say. Whenever you say your, your hello, your greeting at the start of the podcast, I always think of the uh. moment in The Simpsons where they're like doing a parody of a sitcom and Homer walks into Moe's bar and goes, Greetings! <laughs> I will take that. That's how I, to be compared. It's wonderful to uh, the Simpsons in a somewhat f- favorable way. I will take a hundred percent. So thank you for that, Ryan. You're welcome, and thank you very much for joining me to talk about lots of the Premier League, a little bit of Championship, a little bit of Bundesliga. I very much appreciate it. Always a pleasure, never a chore.